diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. in the world, she asked me. I started to respond with what I do in the circles I wandered through, and she stopped me. No, I don't want to know what you do or where. Who are you in your head in the world? And I'm not entirely sure. Perhaps I am a performance. Who I am is reflected in the eyes of people around me. To many, I am friend. To some, probably, I am not friend. To many, I am loved. To some I am lover, to as many as I can, myself included, I am kind. I am a wonderful contradiction. I am a ball of pain, yet a beacon of joy. I am learning to hate myself less while voicing joy and love for all around me. I am so, so weary, yet celebratory of you. I won't move myself to the kitchen, but I'll move a mountain for you. I am a safe harbour of a shoulder to cry on, a warm hug, a heard word, a seer of tears fought back. I am flawed, beautifully so, a rainbow hue of pain, of grief, of depression, of love, of celebration of people. I am a delight, and that takes energy and sheer willpower. I am so tired and cannot wait for eternal rest. Who am I? In my head, in the world, I am a beautiful smart aleck, a self-deprecating but not self-hating bundle of love. I am quick of wit, especially when given three to six months' notice. Who am I in my head, in the world? I am tired. I am flawed and weary and grieving oh so much. But when I bring that to the stage or my conversations or to my lovers and friends or how I am in the world, I see how I am in your head. Just a spark, just a moment, and I feel less tired, less flawed, less weary. Still grieving, though. But three out of four ain't bad. Who am I in my head in the world? I'm not entirely sure. In my head in the world does not exist in a vacuum. I show up in all the poems I've written and ones yet to write. All the tears I've shed in joy and sadness, all the love I give and receive all the agonised collapses and breaths through gritted teeth, all the laughter and all the quiet moments in between too. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show and we've been listening to Hal Simons. Welcome to the show, Hal. Thanks, Brendan. You're wearing one of your trademark wonderful T-shirts for people who can't see us on the radio. (laughs) Yes, as this is a a medium of audio, uh, I'm wearing a T-shirt that says, Hug me with two T-Rexes. 
struggling to do just that. Ah, oh, because of their small limbs. Yeah. yeah, it's a little sad, but also hugs are great. So, who's the you in that poem? Well, it was asked of me by somebody, and I actually surprised them with it at a poetry gig last week, going, this is your fault that I wrote this. <laughs> and that was pretty much what they asked me. They said, who are you in your head in the world? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, as I do, being eloquent as always. And then I sat in my car, just about to head home and went, I know what I'll do. I'll answer that question. And that's what I've got here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I kind of like it. I, I like it as a here is an aspect of me without going too heavy on any of the grief, love, depression, chronic pain poems that I often explore. There's a lot to unpack there, isn't oh, there? Oh, yeah. There's, there's... At, at least three books worth, um, probably more. But um, I have a back injury, and so chronic pain is, uh, he says, remembering that this is a morning time slot. <laughs> chronic pain is not a fun thing to experience, and so I found it useful to get it out onto the page. Um, associated depression, anxiety, grief, love, all of these things. There's some pretty some entertainingly heavy topics. Entertaining is probably not the best word. But there's some heavy topics I like to write about mm-hmm. and I like to have a bit of fun with them too. makes it easier. Um, it also helps because if I don't laugh at it, it's does, I, I spend a large portion of my life not laughing at it and that took its toll. So, hmm. so how long have you been living with that? Chronic pain? Ah, it, it seems a lifetime. It's, it's been close to 20 years now. And for someone who's in their late 30s, that's an impressive amount of time. Um, I wore down parts of my spine in my late teens, early 20s, and didn't realise that that isn't the default for everybody when I would collapse in agony. And then the, the words osteoarthritis should not be associated with anyone under the age of 50 but in my early 30s that was what that was what I was told I had Mm -hmm. uh, and still have because it doesn't go away and so I feel often like I am I am quite a young man regardless of going bald at about late teens but I feel sometimes very tired and old and and I still have to remember that not everyone needs multiple types of painkillers with breakfast just to uh, get to baseline Great fuel for poetry writing and also for my psychologist. But um, and w- when did you discover that writing was? It was about eight years ago now, seven or eight years. It took me took me a couple of months before I started writing things after going to a poetry event, and I remember the first event I walked into, which was uh, to the ends of the verse at Open Studio, and I I think I'd gone in there to meet a friend who suggested it, and it had been on my radar for a little while. And I went in there and they were like, oh, do you want to speak on the open mic? And I went, huh, no, um, huh, okay. And I put my name down and uh, I hadn't written anything. I didn't call myself a poet. I didn't call myself a writer. I was like, okay, so what do I read? And I went, I know, I'll start off with something light. You know that poem that I read for my dad's eulogy? That's what I'll do. I'll read that one out. And I was like, wait a second, that's not... Okay, but that's what we're doing, it seems. So I, I read out a, a piece by Pablo Neruda that I still break down in the middle of. Uh, but that was my first step onto the open mic. And I, I like to think I've kind of continued that. I, there's a reason I talk about depression and grief and pain and 
a range of topics is because when I talk about, like, it helps me, but I have my psychologist to talk to about this stuff, but I feel it has an impact with folks as well. And so to be able to talk about grief that is still a dozen years on or an experience of chronic pain where I can't remember what it's like to not be in pain is heartbreaking, but it's also worthwhile. Do you find that uh, you get a response from the audience? I do. I like it's great when I do the thing and they they laugh at the point that I wanted them to laugh at, or the like that one I just did there with the I'm uh, what is it here? I'm quick of wit, especially with given three to six yeah, months yeah. notice. I was like, <laughs> and I have had people come up to me and say, "Oh, I really love that bit." And I'm like, "Cool, random person who I don't know who you are." Um, some of my fondest times was performing in the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize uh, two years going, and one of them, one guy came up to me and went, I, I was in tears, I loved your poem. I'm like, okay, thank as they walked off. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's Impact Stranger with poem about heartfeltness. Okay, that works out well. Um, so, yes, I've often found people like my stuff. I've got a friend who came along, new friend, relatively new friend, who came along to the poetry set last week who now carries my books around with them in their bag because they like reading them and and hearing my intonation and things so yes i've always wanted to say this word on the radio you have a mellifluous voice (laughs) thank you the audience at home can't see that but i'm giggling and and wiggling (laughs) quietly without trying to make the chair creak um talking about the the book that you just read from it's called the hapless mortal yes and uh at the bottom of the first page, it, it uh, gives away what it was written for. It was written expressly for Poetic Express on the 31st of October, it, it 2023. It's... How much time did you give yourself to write this book? <laughs> well, uh, so Michael, the delightful human who runs Poetic Express and Passionate Tongues, gave me about two weeks for the set because they're, the person who was originally booked had to change for whatever reason. And I went... Hell yes, I'm in on that. Excited and terrified at the same time. And so I hadn't done a set for a while. I hadn't, I'd, I'd done some little open mic spots of three to five minutes. Cool. I hadn't sat down and actually worked out what poems I had and what I wanted to have the two 10 to 15 minute sets look like. Once I worked out what I wanted to write, it was then, okay, cool. Now I'll just put this into a book form and then be my smart Alex self in amongst it and dealing with toner cartridge marks and... Uh, I find the uh, yes for the for the people who can't see what's going on in here the the hapless mortal has a, a, a um, well a toner cartridge mark yeah. a big black streak down each page which yes. makes each one completely unique unique and special I've I've instituted it specifically for copyright purposes <laughs> <laughs> which it is both unable to be uh, forged but also seemingly not able to be fixed out of my printer at home so that was also why I just kind of wanted to create something. I'm proud of it. That's I, I feel bashful about being proud about something that I created and I need to get the get over that. So. Yes, that's something that uh, I noticed. You notice that a lot, that people are kind of, um, you know, they're a bit shy about getting themselves, standing up in front of people. And Yeah, I, I, I don't mind being on a microphone and going, here is a part of me. This is, this is a part that makes me cry. I may cry on the mic. I'll try not to because that'll short circuit things. But it's the, 
and people were like, oh, how much for the book? I'm like, oh, just, what? just nothing is fine. I just want you to take it. And two friends of mine went, give us your books. We're going to go sell them to your friends. Get out of our way. <laughs> and I love them dearly for that. But I'm looking forward to harnessing this ADHD hyper-focus and pumping out a book sometime in the next short period of time. So, I, was, I was wondering about that. Uh, the, uh, the, I think you said that something about that on the mic uh, yes. on the night that you had ADHD, and so yeah, um, it was. It kind of it terrified you, but it enabled you to to produce it as well. Yes. Well, uh, after being undiagnosed for many years, and then getting a diagnosis in uh, a few months ago, to the surprise of nobody, um, finding out that I'm a bit neurospicy. Uh, I've created my world to not have the pressures of doing things. I, with, the, with the back injury and managing that means I can't do a nine-to-five. The other aspects of my world, I just I, I don't like the time pressures on them. And so I've made my world not have that. So when Michael said, hey, you've got two weeks, can you do the thing? And I went, okay, and whipped it up in a few days. I did the same with the other chapbook that I have in front of me called Love and Other Adventures which was start of 2019, which was another friend calling me on a Monday and saying, hey, I'm opening a stall on Saturday. You've got a book, right? And I went, no. And they went, can you have one by Saturday? And I went, okay. And so made a, a collection of my um, love poems. And it seems that if I outsource the motivation and have panic, I get things done. I'm going to use that sparingly, I think, because otherwise that's just going to run my anxiety into the wall. Yeah, that would have unfortunate side effects, I'd yeah. imagine. Pros and cons to that one, so yeah. I've got to use it carefully, but that seems to have worked with this. Yeah. Do you want to share a poem from that? The Love and Other Adventures? Love and Other Adventures. Oh, yes. I, got... I, I like a lot of my poems. This is one of the ones I love. It's called Neither Falling Nor Rising. I trace the scars across my lover's sleeping back a myriad of pathways, canals, and fractures from her past. She has torn her wings out. Her back is scarred from servitude, from sword and flail, whip and chain, from piercing wounds as she freed the heretics and blasphemers, witches and wise women. From the flames at Alexandria as the library burned, she wailed in anguish as the tower at Babel was destroyed. The gardens at Babylon did wither and fade, she tried to save them all. She sleeps, and I explore with the most delicate of touches. She knows I do this, and still she sleeps with me. She murmurs in words with meanings lost to mankind, and in the darkest of nights, she weeps at the memories of her home, forever beyond her reach. She has carved out her place in the world. No longer does she guard the gates with sword in hand, no longer does she do the bidding of the powers that be. Oh no, now... She treats those who cross her path with a fierce and protective kindness. The only weapons she wields are her razor-sharp wit and scathing tongue. She works on nurturing humanity to its most glorious potential. She now lays with mortals, drinks wine, and falls in and out of love. She has loved others before me and will do so again when I am gone. She laughs with an angelic voice and devil tongue, hellfire in her eyes. And I... With my limited time upon this earth, I look on in wonder and thank whatever gods may be for my blessed time with her. We know you love listening to 3CR. 
But we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You are listening to The Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack and I'm joined today by Hal Simons. A lot of poets, I notice, are kind of, I don't know, embarrassed to write about love. Mm. But it doesn't seem to worry you at all. Well, (laughs) I guess there's an aspect of... It's traditional. It's relatable as well. Like, oh, you wrote a love poem. How original of you. Well done. (laughs) Is it comparing someone to a summer's day? Um, But I I like to think I bring some of my own flavours to it, or at least the humour to it. Um, One aspect of my world is is being polyamorous. So I love multiple people. So my poems aren't... They don't come from a space of, ah, this is a finite resource and it belongs to one person only. It's a, hey, what do we want to create with this? How do we want it to look? I love you. I love you dearly. And I celebrate you going off and loving other people or being loved. Often poems or writings about love have jealousy. To write about being jealous of that person or the ownership aspect just wouldn't sit. I could, I'll just write a poem about cheese or something instead. It's really... (laughs) It really doesn't resonate with me. I'd much yeah. prefer to write something about, I celebrate you as I drive you to the airport so you, as you're on your way to another lover kind of thing. Yeah, the beautiful thing about your love poems, I think, is that uh, they're often about the love itself. I wrote one poem that is about meeting someone and there being an instant heartfelt connection to them and both of us identifying that we didn't have time in our worlds. We... We had other things. We were full. The 168 hours of every week was filled up with commitments and everything. And so I wrote this poem that it's just we sat there for five minutes just gazing into each other's eyes. And then at the end of that, we got up and parted ways. And that, to me, is as precious as celebrating a 50th wedding anniversary or or celebrating any kind of relationship or connection. Yeah, now you're making me cry. Yay! (laughs) Excellent! (laughs) This, dear listener, is why I do everything. <laughs> let's go to a song. No, let's not go to a song. <sighs> you're very involved in that you... You're very involved in the poetry community. I like to think so. As, yeah. much, as, as much as someone who is wonderfully... Uh, I'm going to put it as conserving of energy, but also lazy works. <laughs> uh, but uh, with managing the injury and just general anxiety and existing in a physical realm... Uh, I do like to cause mischief in places, whirlwind through different events, and I am, I, I've been a long-term viewer and experiencer of an event called Mother Tongue, which is a beautiful space for women's voices, and women is that spectacularly identifying umbrella of anybody or anyone. If you, th- if you think you fall under that umbrella, you do. It's, it's not up to us to decide who whether or not someone is woman enough or woman. Uh, and so after spending quite a number of years chilling out on beanbags, relaxing, watching amazing poets and this powerful space, and also, as a cis man, having no opportunity or pressure to perform, it, I could just chill out and cuddle my friends and sit on beanbags and then 
Fleecy Malay, who runs Mother Tongue, who created it, who birthed it, and they have their own stories about it, uh, said, well, I'm turning it into a not-for-profit. Hal, do you want to be on the board? And I went, I don't know, <laughs> board of directors. And I was like, usually the words Hal Simons and board of directors are Hal Simons, stop bothering the board of directors. And we sat down and we were like, okay, so what do you want me to be? How do you want me to be on this? And we came to the conclusion that my official title, my role is mischief maker. And that is a spectacularly powerful position in, in that. It's like the, the jester in the, in the kingdoms of <laughs> yours. It's the one who could insult the king or fart in front of them without losing their head. And paradoxically, I'm occasionally the one who draws the meetings back on track when we get too distracted or brings some lightheartedness to, cool, spreadsheets, excellent. Let's try and make this as enjoyable as possible. And that's weird because it's the most professional thing I've done for a decade, mm-hmm. apart from cat sitter and disabled poet, uh, which are not our intensive jobs. Yes, there's, there's many different... I, that's one of the reasons I love Melbourne and I think I would struggle to be anywhere else is I like having the difficulty of going, bugger, I have to choose between three different poetry events on one night. Or if I make the first set at this one, how can I get to the second set at that one and... Or yeah. and and manage your uh, pain. Yeah, manage pain and 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 just general getting from A to B. Um, managing the pain is a massive one. It's it's I, I could talk a lot about uh, the various supports and potions and pills I have to make my body be something that is functional, and that's another fuel for writing is the freaking agony of that at times. Like as we're sitting here. I've got assorted medications in my system and I'm still can feel that stab just to the right of the spine there. And if I move too much, not only does it make the chair creak, but I do too. Uh, And so balancing getting from point A to point B or even just being at point A and managing myself. Uh, Occasionally I am, quite often I am seen using a cane because a half inch misstep has caused me to collapse on the ground and... It's a great party trick, but you don't want to do it too often. Um, but it does mean that I have an assortment of canes for various uh, occasions and finding the ones for formal, going to a, going to a funeral perhaps, <laughs> or the more playful, going to a particular poetry event. Has anyone ever asked you what's the cane for? Yes, yeah. Because I, I don't look like technically the, the, the term is invisible disability. There, there isn't an indicator that I'm that there are parts of me that aren't there. Uh, and so I used to have it as an indicator when back before I, I got a car, I was catching public transport and the shaved headed, bearded, nose pierced, tattooed guy sitting in the, in, in the special seats at the front, it helped to just disarm some people. It would just be less likely to bump into me, less likely to ask why I'm sitting there. Uh, but yes, people have people are like, why are you why are you carrying that? I'm like, have a have a stab in the dark as to why someone who is moving slowly might be using a cane. I believe in you. I believe you can get to this. <laughs> oh, it's to help you walk. Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I have one that was my um I have about a dozen of these assorted ones that I've got from uh garage sales or friends, but I have one that was my father's before me. Uh and worn down in 
certain places with a hand where his hand sat mm. and I didn't really get much chance to talk to him about chronic pain I mean we he died when I was 25 and uh, that's another one of the things I write a lot about is his grief and that that is still there a dozen years later uh, but I never got to I've had a dozen years to live so I haven't had a chance to talk to him about those stories uh, but I would have liked to have shared ways of managing chronic pain and his cane in my hand is definitely one of those it's a, it's a nice support to have while we're on the subject would, mm. would you like to read a poem oh, about your father yeah this one is particularly relevant to this conversation it's called I Often Cry. I often cry in tender moments, in joyous celebration or agony, sometimes alone, sometimes with others, and a whole range of other times too. I cry at movies. Most recently, time-travelling protagonists connected with their children up and down the time stream. Interstellar and the Atom Project for those playing along at home. And I am sobbing in the same way my father once did. Same motions, same caught breath, same gritted teeth and tense muscles, same explosion of noise, same sniff and exhale. He and I were not so different in some regards. And so I wrote this poem because that seems to be how my brain works. And I'm sharing it here because, because I know that sharing this makes me feel less alone. Maybe it'll help others feel less alone too. Grieve for as long as you need. And remember to drink water, as crying can be dehydrating. Beautiful. Thank you. I... What, what do you remember most about your father? He was always proud of us, his children, regardless of what we did, whatever choices we made, whatever paths we walked down. And I... I, I made some choices in my late teens, early 20s. And I, unsurprisingly, I write about them in various ways. But I, uh, I married my high school sweetheart at the ripe old age of 18. And my dad was proud of me then. He was proud of how I was. He was proud of all my siblings. And I wish I could show him who I am now. Just the various facets of my world. The, the, the rainbow-clad, kilted self, the... A multitude of loves and friends and people around me. And he, uh, he fought cancer for about the last 10 years of his life. And so chronic pain and that impact was something I witnessed. And it certainly has stayed with me. Yeah, I think I just like, yeah, I, I, I miss the love and miss his voice. I have a few recordings uh, of, of him speaking and I play them until the tapes break and then I get them again. I was in a, um, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I was in a car accident and quite beaten up. My phone was broken, I was broken and I was working at the time and went into the office and they sat me down and went, okay, cool, call family, call someone to, to come and get you. And I didn't have my phone, and I was like, okay, what, what numbers do I know off heart? And I just went muscle memory and had the phone, and it was like, this number is disconnected. 
it then struck me that I'd called my dad a couple of years after he died. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad he didn't pick up the phone. That would have been weird. But it was still, still, that's burnt into my brain. His phone number, him being there. Or not being there now. Um, so I write about that. I grieve about that. A lot of, I have some stuff that doesn't make it into poems. But I certainly... Uh, I've chosen to be quite open about facets of my world that are heavy, whether it's grief or chronic pain or depression or mental health stuff. I found it useful. Makes people, potentially, makes people feel less alone. And I, I am a white male in his late 30s talking about grief and depression. There's not nearly enough of that happening out in the world. There's more than there used to be, but it's... That's it. We have a culture of man up and don't talk about that. Suffer in silence and that doesn't work. That certainly would have been much more the case when you were 18. Yes. Yeah, I grew up in a small country town where even the tumbleweeds went home on a Friday night. It was a, not only was it a dull place, but it was, I'm sure it had its moments, but for a teenager who worked at the single screen cinema, it didn't have a lot of joy or life to it and having associated mental health issues for most of my life is it leaves a mark uh, and it's one of the reasons why I write about it it's one of the reasons why I laugh about it too because kind of have to and that's what about uh listening as well because you mm. uh, you're an audience member I am quite a lot um <laughs> what what do you get from people I get excited reading? um I get to see so the the multifaceted aspects. I like supporting my friends. I like hearing strangers talk about aspects of their world in ways that I hadn't considered. One of the things I love about being an audience member is celebrating someone's walk to the microphone because no one should walk to a microphone in silence. It is, I find it heartbreaking. Like for me, if I was walking up, when I'm walking up there and there is a, dip either it's because people are exhausted or there's whatever reason or it's a long way <laughs> it's a long way oh yeah it's like how long do you keep applauding when the person's trying to get out from behind tables and then they get caught in amongst someone else and it might take 15 seconds or something and people have to conserve their hands with clapping i'm often found in the audience and i am occasionally found shouting keep the applause going <laughs> because especially with for new folk there are people and i love Various events that acknowledge and celebrate. I mean, all the events do it, but like Michael uh, at Passionate Tongues and Poetic Express, first time readers get a prize, like they get given something to take home with them. And usually, if it's like, oh, this is my first time on the microphone, or this is my first time reading here, it is met with an applause and celebration. It's joyful. And I love that that is there. I also like it when it, before we realise that this is their first time on the stage or a thousandth time, celebrating the hell out of them as they walk up there or telling a poet what, how their stuff has landed in the break or whatever. Probably not immediately after they finish because I don't know about anyone else but I'm still <laughs> buzzing and the world is bright and shiny and I've just dipped into a headspace that is grief or love or whatever but... Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons I 
plan my world often around getting to the poetry gigs, conserving my energy so I can get to somewhere, is to be able to, A, witness people being amazing, but also I don't know what might land for me, something that might stick and stay, and I'll be like, that thing you said? Or, hey, you said this to me like three years ago, I was in a gig and you did this, and that stayed in my brain for that long, and people are powerful and beautiful humans, and... I love the the friendships and connections made. I love the various ways of being and interacting. Some of the most powerful and heart-wrenching poems in different spaces. Each each venue, each event is its own flavour. And different places have different vibes and, and it's they are all beautiful. Mother Tongue, for one I love, is it's such a fleecy holds such a beautiful space for so many powerful emotions and, and experiences to be expressed and that that is welcomed and loved and celebrated. I have seen people on the Mother Tongue stage talking about spectacularly horrific or impactful moments to them. I have, I remember one poet many years ago who stood up there and they talked, they had dreadlocks running down most of their back and, and I still remember what they were wearing and they, they were talking about how their dreadlocks had weighed them down and that they got sore neck from staying out of the shower and they'd use them to hide behind. And then as they're telling this poem, they say that they don't need them anymore and they pull a pair of scissors out of their pocket and chop off the dreadlocks and throw them into the audience as they're doing this. And I'm like, you can't practice for that. That's not something you can... That That is not what I was expecting. It's not what anyone was expecting. And I love that those moments exist. And the world is richer for having them. Radio Larry is the one that you go to a lot as well. Yeah, radio. I really love Radio Larry, um, which used to be called Girls on Key uh, and is a wonderful gig at uh, Open Studio in Northcote. And I used, like, Open Studio is where I f- first cut my teeth on the mic many, many, many years ago. And I love that space too. I one, one of the things I tell about the venue is that I was one of the reasons why they now have electronic candles in the place because I accidentally set fire to a menu. Uh, and I thought, that's fair enough. That's, they, didn't, they didn't let me live it down, but they certainly didn't ban me from it until I told this story to a group of friends and an unknown person. And they went, oh, yeah, I set my hair on fire in open studio. And I was like, okay, so maybe it's not just entirely me that was the reason for the change to electronic candles. <laughs> uh, Radio Laria is beautiful. And I love when it hits the Wednesday night and I can make it work timing and energy-wise and be like, cool, I'll buy a ticket and turn up and curl up on kind of velvet seats and have a glass of wine and a crepe. And be all pretentious, but uh, get to enjoy poetry on High Street in Northcote. Some amazing people. Thank you so much for coming in today. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me, Brendan. It's been delightful. Would you like to read one more poem to take yeah. us out? Let's do one more. All right. Let's do this one. Finish on this one. It's called Honest Breed. We poets are honest, sometimes, when it suits us. We tell stories of grains of sand melted down, set in specific ways, spun out in gossamer-thin sheets to catch the light, a beautiful and radiant creation. 
As a friend of mine says, we are unreliable narrators. At least, he might have said that. I Maybe I can't quite recall. We poets tell truths. Not necessarily universal, sometimes not even of this universe. We tell stories. Of sadness, of hope, of love, of pretension. We tell stories of stories. How meta. We poets write our dreams on a page. Or maybe the memories of a dream. Or maybe what flows from what we think the memories of a dream should be. I'm sure there was a starting point around here somewhere. We poets tell the truth. For a given value of true. Experiences boiled down and reconstituted, flavoured with vanilla and lightheartedness to make our tales palatable. Ingredients combined to make something enjoyed by you, hopefully, us, hopefully. A meal created of verse and rhyme, lemon zest and just a hint of something mysterious. We poets are honest. Mostly. Sometimes. We poets tell the truth. For a given value of true. We create. And hopefully the meal we prepare is to your liking. And if it doesn't quite satisfy your need or hunger, well, it's a good thing you've got other poets coming up next. <laughs>